1: Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today because we're going to do something for the first time on Market Impact Insights, and that is have a return guest. So about 18 months ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with Steve Gutzler. Steve is president of Leadership Quest, a Seattle-based leadership development company. And Steve is a very dynamic, a a very highly sought-out speaker, leadership coach, He's helped executives. He's helped teams in some of the world's most visible companies, including Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, Cisco, you name it. He's got a long roster. And what he focuses on is applying emotional intelligence and quality leadership to really elevate performance of teams and organizations. And there has been so much that has changed, obviously, in the last 18 months. And with Steve, Now coming out with a new book, we're going to dive in a little bit about uh, some of the principles in this new book that are coming at a very important time with everything that we're dealing with through the pandemic. It's really a good time to reconnect with Steve and uh, check in and really give some perspectives to all of you that are out facing some of the tough challenges in helping your businesses not just weather the storm, but also be positioned for long-term success. So, Steve, after 18 months, welcome back to Market Impact
0: Insights. Thank you, Dan. It's awesome to be back. And uh, again, being with your listeners, you've got a great following and it's a privilege to be with you.
1: Well, as I was saying, you know, the world has certainly changed a lot since we last talked and there's been no shortage of stress. Uh, We have faced together what at times seem to be unanswerable questions and uncertainty. And leaders and teams everywhere are obviously having to re-examine their priorities. They're adjusting to a a new normal. I'm curious at a more personal level, Steve, what have been some of the biggest revelations for you as you've had to weather the storm through our, our current situation?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question because 2020, right, it was going to be the 20, the vision was going to be 2020 this year. And I was so excited. I had a full slate of speaking engagements around the country. Um, very, very excited about a year of influence and impact. And <clears throat> actually, as you know, Seattle became kind of the epic center of, of kind of the coronavirus, the first outbreaks, and one of the first states to shut down. And I think for me, honestly, and a number of leaders that I've talked with, whether we realized it or not, we actually were going through the stages of grief through this epidemic. And I'm not minimizing the the tremendous heartache and hardship that that has brought a lot of families. But people in business, I mean, there was, for me, I think, a denial of how severe this would be. Uh, there was a, a point of anger because my livelihood and, and a lot of the, my passions were being taken from me. There was a bargaining where I thought, well, maybe I can maneuver around this. And then uh, profound sadness, which is the fourth stage of grief. And that is a mental health issue that I think is gripping our nation. People have suffered through different bouts of depression and, and, and different emotions. In fact, I was on a Zoom training recently, Dan. I said, give me how you're feeling right now. There were six managers of a a startup technology firm. And I said, just one word description. And here are the words they gave me, Dan. Drained, anxious, fatigued, disturbed, stressed, and battle weary. And I went, wow. I go, I don't view that as negative. I just view that as human. We're not machines, we're human beings. We've been highly impacted. But I think the fifth stage where we're all trying to get to, Dan, is acceptance. And I don't mean that in a surrendering form, but let's come to meaning. Let's come to greater purpose. I would not have written my new book with Dan Acker, Lead with No Fear, had it not been for the uh, shutdown. We were talking about the book, but it actually gave me the focused energy. We wrote and published this book in 90 days. (laughs) And so even in this time of breaking, and uh, there was a blessing, if you will. And so, um, yeah, I think it's been a highly impactful season for everybody. We're kind of finding our way and trying to work our way through these different stages.
1: Yeah. I I think what you're saying really resonates uh, with the audience because uh, and even our sense of time and space, Steve, I think changes. I was just thinking, you know, it's been more than 90 days since uh, you and I are both in the Seattle uh, area, since uh, our state, our city went into more of a lockdown uh, yeah. type of mode. And 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 it's amazing that it really has been the impetus for a lot of people that I talk to and they say that, you know what, I've had to take a break from what had been a very hectic, very... Uh, career-focused, very work-focused, very commute-focused uh, lifestyle. And it's allowed them to actually spend more quality time with their family in terms of just interactions, right? Human interactions with yes. people that they care about. And what I've heard is just this reflective time. If there is a silver lining, and and I think through any of the the harshest storms, there always tends to be silver linings, is can, can all of us come out of this with a new reflection, a new sense of purpose, or a rejuvenated sense of purpose that will help us Mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. So uh, yeah, I think you were spot on.
0: Yeah, that's so well spoken, Dan, because if there is a sixth stage after acceptance, I think it's meaning and purpose. And I think we're all trying to get to this place where what is the meaning and purpose of our lives? What is a greater meaning and purpose for the next season of life as things open back up? Do we want to just rush back in and get into those old habits? Or maybe there's some recalibrating. And, uh, and we certainly talk about that in the book. I think we, we uh, focus on these seven shifts that I think is going to be a good roadmap for people.
1: Yeah, and, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes because I think the the insights that you and Mike Acker have put together in the book are, are are just so practical and so relevant. But before we get there, Steve, I just wanted to come back to uh, talking about something that's really been at the cornerstone of, of your focus uh, over the past 15 years, and that's emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so we've got coronavirus, we've got market upheavals, we've got societal Upheaval going on right now. How do you see this changing the game, if at all, when it comes to how to apply emotional intelligence into our business and personal lives?
0: I love the question because I think about it a lot. I always, when I share publicly and even on online, I'll I'll talk about leadership and I'll say, first of all, what is a what is a leader? What does a leader look like and act like? And it's a great. Conversation, it always lends itself towards they are a positive influence with their peers and colleagues. That's number one. Number two, they create impact, the title of your company, they create positive impact. And thirdly, they inspire others to greatness. But in order to do that, Dan, you have to lead yourself well. And the first person you lead is always yourself, right? And that's the toughest person to lead. And one of the keys in emotional intelligence is leading your emotions, figuring out which emotions you want to display, which ones you want to defend against. And I tell people all the time, you're contagious. You're contagious on those Zoom meetings. You're contagious in emails. You're contagious in person. And by that, I mean, hopefully not with the virus, but you're emotionally contagious, People will come away from you feeling a little bit better about themselves, their situation, their business opportunities, or a bit depleted. So today, I think, is the day of leadership. Today is the day to lead people with the right emotions. I I even believe we we are moving into an emotional economy. It's going to be those businesses that connect with people in meaningful ways. So emotional intelligence is going to lead the way in this new era.
1: And that's a great segue into your new book uh, with Mike Acker, Lead With No Fear. And in the book, Steve, you talk about this concept of a three-degree difference and then seven associated leadership shifts. Can you get into that a little bit more? What can we learn from all that?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it was kind of a self-discovery, and Mike has had the same when we discussed it, that we began to reflect upon changes in our life, changes in our leadership. And we both came to the conclusion, they were never quantum leaps. They were like three degree shifts that we made. And we even give the analogy in the book early on, of an aircraft carrier. When the captain says three degrees to the right, nobody on the crew feels it. 4,500 member crew on an aircraft carrier doesn't feel a three degree shift, but over 30, 60, 90 days, they can be in a whole different continent. And excuse me, these small degree shifts, Dan over time around the seven areas begin to make significant impact in our life. So I'm a big proponent of small degree shifts—three degrees, you can call it five degrees—but but that's where we came up with it, and we we really have looked and reviewed at these seven shifts that are so important for leaders to leverage.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about these small incremental shifts because in business, all the time in teams, uh, constantly in, in trying to figure out how to successfully execute at a project level teams are always thinking about how do you break down that bigger, long-term, complex project into these distinct phases, right? And Mm -hmm. so you think about kind of incremental wins. We're not going to get it all done at once, but it's going to be that that succession of different milestones, different achievements over time. And then it's like a snowball. It just builds and builds and builds. And hopefully with positive, positive momentum behind that snowball to achieve a bigger outcome. And so now what you're really talking about Let's apply that from a leadership perspective mm-hmm. and in our behaviors and our approach to leadership in those smaller increments. But the sustainability
0: mm-hmm. over
1: time is what creates the long-term bigger impact.
0: That's so well said. And I, I totally believe in it. And the, the most discouraging year I ever had in business or my personal life, Dan, is I got these big post-it notes in my office and I wrote BHAG goals over seven areas, Right, I had them for my business, my family, my finances, my personal development, my um, health, my spiritual peace. I had all these categories with big goals, and within the first quarter, I hadn't accomplished anything. <laughs> yeah, and I, I literally remember taking them down in discouragement, and then reminding myself, "It's you can have those b but set incremental, do three degree shifts." So there's magic in that.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking as you were describing that, we've all been there, the trough of disillusionment. But uh, from that kind of comes a, a kind of a reorienting, kind of a, a, a pers- put it in perspective, mm-hmm. and then and then work towards a more positive outcome. So it's kind of getting yourself out of that rut of of that pressure that you put on yourself. Why aren't I farther along on these goals? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So- In your book, you talk about seven fundamental shifts. Can you go into a bit more detail on some of those shifts? Are there a couple of those you think are worthy of calling out? Uh, Maybe some specific examples that you're seeing in practice that um, really show the potential of some of those shifts.
0: Yeah, thank you, Dan. I think the first one is foundational. It has been the game changer for me, which is shift from victim to leader and I'm not talking about true victimization. We, we're we familiar with that. I'm talking about a victim mindset, victim self-talk, a victim vocabulary. And this became very apparent to me back in the Great Recession where my business had taken a major hit. It was down 45%. And I didn't even realize that what it was affecting was my self-talk, my vocabulary. I started blaming, accusing others to excuse my own poor behaviors and I was stuck in a rut. I call it the doldrums. It's an actual nautical term. Uh-huh. where you, yeah. know, you know, the intertropical convergence zone collides, cancels out the wind. And if sailing ships would go into the doldrums, they would just sit there and, and sail in circles unless they got a second wind. And I was in the doldrums. I needed a second wind. And my second wind came in the form of an invite uh, to be a part of an experiential trip, a a rafting trip, with burn victims. And I was asked to come and speak on the evening and camp with them. And uh, in that moment, I was in a point of doldrums. And I did it out of obligation, Dan. I didn't even Mm -hmm. see the opportunity. And I got down there. And uh, being on that river and watching those amazing people that had 35 to 95% of their bodies burned and scarred, the scar tissue so bad they could barely hang on to the oars as we were kayaking. But I didn't hear, God is my witness, I didn't hear any negativity. I didn't hear cynicism. Uh, I heard a lot of teamwork, a lot of joy, laughter, can-do. And I got up that evening to speak to them. And my voice cracked because it was very emotional for me to watch and observe them. And I said, uh, two things. I want to thank you for today. Um, I was asked to come and inspire you, but watching you, you have inspired me. Thank you. And second, I need to make a confession. I've never been around burn victims, and I was nervous coming to be with you. But you're teaching me things. And Dan, I no sooner got the words out of my mouth. That a young man lifted a prosthetic limb, and this was the game changer for me the shift. He said, Mr. Gutzler, in all due respect, we never refer to ourselves as burn victims, we're burn survivors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Burn survivors. And in that moment, it was almost like, it was more than a three degree shift. It was a moment of defining moments where I went back that night, Dan, and I reflected upon my self talk. I reflected upon the pity parties and the insidious words that would actually come out of my mouth that I needed to change. And I started to change my vocabulary. And, I, you know, this is so personal to me that I wrote down phrases I would eliminate that I would no longer, some of them seem trivial. You'll never hear me say the word, I'm tired. (laughs) You'll never hear me say I'm getting old. And I I don't mean it like I bat a thousand, but I don't say those words. There's certain words. I don't say the word hate. I don't say the word, you know, I say the word inspired. I say words that I want to attract into my life. And that shift became highly powerful for me. Mike shares a shift that he had as well with that. But I think once that changed, I started to attract new people, new results. People are attracted to the light. And when we display darkness with our vocabulary, it just is a dead end. And so that shift was was um, foundational it it still is something i think about every morning i get up i place my hand on my heart and i say i'm feeling stronger and i'm getting healthier each day i don't like to think of myself getting unhealthy or not stronger and it may seem silly, silly but for me i think coming out of this time and this season our self talk our vocabulary mm-hmm. and our actual actions Will either attract or repel people. So, shift from victim to leader, and we give some real practical uh, ways to do that. Dan,
1: yeah, that that really resonates. And I know one of the other shifts you talk about that uh, also uh, I've seen, I've felt at different points of my career is as a leader. Maybe you're going into a new situation. Maybe you're taking on a bigger responsibility. Uh, to manage uh, more layers of complexity, more people, there can be an aura of insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. Some, some tentativeness. So this shift that you talk about in the book from insecure to confident Mm -hmm. leadership uh, Mm -hmm. is something I think that's a really pervasive challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love it. And it's right in the middle because I really think of confidence as when you're centered as a leader. We can all think back. In fact, often when I'm in a a live setting with an audience, I'll say, how many of you have ever worked for an insecure leader? And you'll get a lot of nervous laughters and hands going up and and, because we all have been around uncentered and insecure leaders, people that need the attention, people that need special affirmation, people that jump from thing to thing. And you're wondering, What's wrong with them? And they lack centeredness. They lack a, a sense of values, or and so, you know, when when we were framing up each of these chapters, we do case studies, Dan, with leaders, and and one of we had two case studies: uh, Jerry Leisure and yourself. I actually had called you because I've been privileged to partner with you in executive retreats and and different. Um, leadership conferences. And I've always admired your leadership, Dan. And I know you weren't fishing for this, but you share, I actually asked you and and interviewed you. And I said, what is it that keeps you centered? And you shared kind of a cool, I think about it a lot. You talked about your leadership triad. So rather than me, I, I would love for you to kind of discuss that Uh, I think the audience will really appreciate it. Again, thinking in terms that we all get off center from time to time, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, in our conversation in the run up to the book, uh, where I was coming from in terms of my leadership experience uh, across uh, several decades and in different companies is, you know, first and foremost, in this idea of a triad, three principles towards effective team leadership, the first area is one where I've seen many, many times where Um, insecure, insecure leaders often have a very difficult time empowering the people on their team because they associate direct responsibility, a direct control uh, somehow as being essential. Mm -hmm. When in fact, you know, my perspective uh, and what I try to bring uh, into the teams that I lead is I don't see how you can succeed as an organization or a team if you don't have uh, strong, healthy empowerment mm-hmm. across the teams and leveraging the unique skills and capabilities uh, of um, every team member. And what that takes, uh, Steve, is is kind of a mindset that um, you know not everyone has, but it's you've often heard the term servant leadership mindset, which says that by empowering and identifying and recognizing those unique talents, The biggest contribution you can make in leading those team members is to remove obstacles and to actually think, what can I do for them to allow them to contribute most to the organization? So it kind of turns around a traditional notion of, well, leaders are about personal accomplishment and uh, kind of an ego-driven trip to actually a more humble servant leadership orientation. So that's the empowerment uh, leg of the triad. The second one is around transparency. And we all know in any organization with human beings as part of teams and working across teams, that it all comes down to effective communication. And what I found is that teams that are in organizations that feel they have greater transparency and visibility to what's really going on, uh, how is the company performing? What are the uh, key challenges and priorities that senior leadership is, is wrestling with? Uh, Where is the company headed in terms of future vision? The greater transparency that you as a leader can provide your team, the more confident they in fact become, you know, through that transparency. So that's the second leg. And and transparency doesn't always mean sharing the wonderful good news. Sometimes it means being very candid and open and sharing the not so good news because everyone needs to be on the same page, right? And so it, it goes kind of both ways. And then the third leg of the triad that you and I talked about is accountability. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, performance is directly related to people being accountable and there being visibility to performance, to having specific metrics and an agreed upon aligned uh, set of outcomes that define success. And so having that set up, Um, Having a good understanding across the team as to how is success going to be measured, having everyone be consistent behind it becomes really powerful. So empowerment, transparency, and accountability. And uh, that triad, um, I think, is an essential part of this idea of moving from insecure to confident leadership. Mm
0: -hmm. And that is so powerful because I know as I've grown my leadership and I still feel I'm a student, you know, we never fully master it, but something like that, when we, we shared that in the book, we've already got good feedback on that portion because people need models. You know, we need, we need something that, you know, we're we're big Seahawk fans, you know, and before Pete Carroll was hired here, uh, to come, uh, he was, he was interviewed and he has a, he has like a one sheet of his leadership, and now it's called uh, the language of the Seahawks. I'm privy to that because I've done coaching with mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, members of the the exec- or members of their team, not the not the athletic team, but the corporate team. And to see that one sheet, it's almost like Cliff Notes on leadership. And whether you have it documented or not, I think every leader should have a template of what guides them, what keeps you centered. You should know your top five values. You should know that triad. You should know what is your driving purpose as a leader. So I love that in the book, Dan. Thank you for your contribution.
1: Yeah, no, it was a a pleasure. And again, I I think in times that we're all are dealing with right now. Uh, these very practical concepts um, couldn't come at a better time. So something that we haven't talked about, Steve, I'd like to, to jump over to this idea. And that is, we, we hear about balance, work-life balance. You know, how do I balance my priorities? How do I, I, I live my best total life by balancing everything, you know, within that, mm-hmm. that spectrum of life? And In an earlier podcast with Dan Thurman – Dan is also a widely known speaker – he talked about turning the traditional concept of balance around with this notion of being unbalanced on purpose. But at times like this, Steve, what do you feel leaders can do to be healthier, more available for their teams, but keeping this this concept of staying balanced, right? Or, or maybe going unconventional, unbalanced in mind. I'm curious for your thoughts on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the example that comes to mind is I was called in to be an executive coach to one of a, a, a high level of an executive in Microsoft. And when I arrived there, his leg was propped up It was summer. He had shorts on and a golf shirt. His leg was propped up and it looked like he had like a nylon stocking type thing on his leg. And he said, "Uh, Steve, I've heard good things. Thanks. He goes, I I need some coaching. He goes, I've been very successful, but I, I see two blind spots in my leadership right now. One is how I truly treat my team. I can execute. I can get stuff done, but I do it at the expense of people. And number two, I need to take better care of myself. And he goes, the reason my leg is propped up is when I came back on an international trip, I started having pain in my leg and then excruciating pain. By the time my wife picked me up, I said, take me to emergency. I feel like I'm dying. And it was an embolism, a blood clot that started in his leg and went up to his heart. And by the time he arrived at the hospital, they gave him probably two days to live. And had it not been for a miracle drug that a visiting physician recommended, he would be dead. And he goes, Steve, I don't know if he called it balance, but he goes, I need to create a sustainable life. I need help. So here's this guy, highly successful, but his leg is propped up. So we focused, Dan, on four buckets, and there are four buckets that we describe in the Book under You Got to Be Smart. You Got to Shift to Being Smart, but You Got to Be Smart and Healthy. And the four buckets I talk to leaders about is number one, your physicality. And what I do for my health may be totally different from you, Dan, or your wife, but everybody's got to have a plan. Okay. And so I think your physicality is very important. I think number two, your emotional bucket. Mm-hmm. And that is recreation, things that are non-technology. I think because we're so tied to this crazy smartphone, Harvard did a study with some executives and gave them the option of either going in a room alone for 60 minutes for thinking time or go into the room and they could take their device. But in order to go into the room with their device, they had to take an electric shock. 65% of the executives took an electric shock. They didn't want to go in a room by themselves just for thinking time. They had to have their device. So that tells me we're out of balance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would say so. 25% of the women took the shock too, but the men were 65. So we got to find ways where we unplug. I try to put my phone away at eight o'clock at night. If I'm going to watch a Netflix with my wife, we try not to have phones. We keep phones away if we're ever on date nights. Uh, We're now just getting back to date nights, right? With, uh, looser restrictions with, uh, going out. So your physical, your emotional bucket, you got to find things, non-technology, your relational bucket, being present with people take, and I've got, I've got, three adult kids. I now have six grandchildren. <laughs>
1: Congratulations.
0: That's, that's wonderful. And I think one of the most harsh things that someone ever said to me was Cruz, my grandson, we at the playground. And I was so, I should have been playing with him, but I was sitting on the bench, looking at my phone, uh, who knows, like email, who knows? And he comes up with me and he goes, pops, put your phone away. And I mean, when he said it, it was just like, what the heck am I doing? It, when your grandson has to come up and say, pops,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Away? right? So, you know, emotional, you know, the, the uh, relational and the final thing is a soulful bucket, doing things that fill our soul. And we all define it maybe a little bit differently, but I try to have a quiet time in the morning where I can reflect. Sometimes I'll write out a prayer. I try to go on a, A walk every morning where I do uh, give gratitude. So those four buckets, I think, can help lend ourselves to sustainability.
1: Yeah, and you you talked up front about the physical nature, uh, but the reality is for any leader in an organization that's responsible for people, responsible for project outcomes, financial outcomes, it it sure feels at times that that collective mental weight – of that responsibility at a certain point, it it can start affecting just energy level, right? And you just, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the week, we've all been there. We come home and we feel just exhausted, right? On Mm -hmm. a Friday night, you know, just from the sheer, uh, just energy, you know, that's required during the week. So in addition to what you've talked about, Steve, any other suggestions you have around resetting, recharging or the mental health, just the mental energy,
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's such such an important topic, Dan. I think that I would say, take some time. Whenever this podcast comes out, take some real time to really get a, a reflect and review your life. Ask yourself honest questions. Don't shame yourself, but ask yourself, am I medicating myself? Are there other ways in which I can find relief? I know I really miss the gym. I've been a gym person for 30 years and yeah. we haven't had that. So <clears throat> I made it a priority that I would walk every day. And I've only missed three days since we've been in lockdown. And actually, the walk, it's not the same as my normal workout. I come back and I do a few push ups and things. It's just kind of maintenance. But I have found the walk has been good because I do a lot of thinking, I can process. So find outlets that are healthy and, and, um, life enhancing. That would be my primary recommendation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I, I too, uh, someone who's very passionate about the gym, it's been a real change to be more home-based, but again, you know, finding the silver lining, sometimes being thrust into a new different circumstance forces you to try new things. So more body weight, you know, type workouts that it's a different kind of strength. Than, than traditionally what I was doing. And now I realize, I said, I was in a rut. You know, I was kind of going back, doing a lot of the same repetitive things because that was a comfort zone. Well, now I'm out of the comfort zone. And you know what? There are benefits to that.
0: That's right. And
1: That's and, right. And, and there's a healthy dose of push-ups in that too, Steve. So yeah, push-ups are, are definitely part of that. So kind of bringing this uh, down the home stretch here, we've been focusing a lot of our discussion in- the today timeframe in terms of practical things leaders can do to make themselves or their teams better. But when you think about the future, Steve, and you think about more emotionally intelligent leadership, what gets you the most excited?
0: I think it's just the sheer opportunity. Um, I think leaders always emerge during difficult times. In my keynote on emotional intelligence, I explain that what will define you is not the 83% moments when things are running smoothly and there's just manageable stress in your life. It's the 17% moments. Harvard did a study and they found the 17% moments is what separates true leadership. How you manage critical stress, uncertainty, new beginnings. So I think every leader that embraces this, that kind of attacks the attack, is going to see unprecedented opportunities. I really believe that. We would have never written this book. I had talked about this book. Mike and I would have never written this book. We were in a woods coffee when Governor Inslee ordered a shut down by, I think the next day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting notified that we're going to have a shutdown, Mike, beginning tomorrow. And you know what we did? We walked out of that Woods Coffee at Lincoln Square into the lobby area. We sat down and I said, let's write this book. Let's write it right now. It looks like we're going to be in lockdown for at least 30 days. And you know what, Dan? In 30 days, we wrote the book. In 90 days, it was published. That's amazing. And I share that not as a point of bragging. I share it as who knows the opportunities that await us, right? If I would have just gone, oh, governor is, is issuing, oh, <laughs> you know, and just stormed out and, you know, see a I. But it was like just the thought now's our opportunity. We as leaders need to be looking right now for the opportunities and direct our teams, direct our businesses. My dad owned and operated a restaurant for 30 years and he always said, Steve, don't look at the doors that are closed. Look for the ones that even have a crack and swing them open. We need to go for the open doors, not the closed doors.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. And I think right now, people through this crisis, through everything that is happening, that it can be unsettling, they're finding new doors that are cracked open. Yes. And so I think, yeah, and and in new amazing ways. And so it's really fun to see the people that are in each of our networks. We see what those doors are, too, as they're sharing. And it's really inspirational. So the book is lead with no fear. Steve, how can people find the book and find out more about emotional intelligence?
0: Well, I think um, you can go right to my website, stevegutzler.com. stevegutzler.com. Uh we have a kind of a display of the book right there in a shop now or you can go directly to Amazon and get it or if you want to go to a Barnes & Noble, order it there, any major bookstore you can order. Um, and it's a hard copy, soft copy. I'm holding the the soft copy in my hand. And if people like Kindle or, a, you know, iPad, iPhone I've, I've version, it's available for that as well.
1: Fantastic. Well, Steve, thanks again for joining and sharing your insights uh, during uh, unique times for all of us, but very inspirational.
0: Thank you, Dan. It's been awesome to be with you.
1: And I want to remind everyone out there to please take a few moments. If you like this podcast, go out, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It's very easy to do, and we really appreciate the feedback. And also, a reminder to check out marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.